Welcome to Capital Insurrection Report. I'm Scott Kuhn. Today I submit for your consideration a profile of one of the criminal defendants charged in the Capital Insurrection. According to the George Washington University Program on Extremism, some 417 defendants have been federally charged as of this recording. So I had to give some thought to the issue of case selection. I didn't want to dive right into one of the defendants who's been charged with leading the conspiracy to prevent the certification of the Electoral College votes, someone like Jessica Watkins from the Oath Keepers or Ethan Nordine from the Proud Boys, in part because these defendants have attracted a lot of attention already, but also because I think it's more fruitful to begin with an individual who represents something like the average capital insurrection defendant and also someone who might have an interesting story that I can also actually get my hands on. I thought about some of the figures charged with conspiracy, but these are more complicated cases than I wanted to begin with, and so I wanted to choose someone who's alleged to have engaged in the violence and the destruction of property. Um, So in this case, I chose Shane Leiden Jenkins. Jenkins is from Texas, a state well represented among the capital insurrection defendants. He's 43 years old, so also representative in terms of his age, because the average defendant is something like 39 or 40 years old, uh, depending upon who's been arrested that day. He was also a little bit of a meme for a while, because he has prominent tattoos that made a kind of a splash on the internet. He has a tattoo on his right cheek below his right eye that looks as though it may have at one point been a teardrop tattoo, but it's been modified into a fleur-de-lis. He also has tattoos on his hands, and a rather large neck tattoo, which reads, MAMA TRIED, in all caps. This tattoo would appear to be a reference to the Merle Haggard song of the same name. Released in August of 1968, MAMA TRIED was Merle Haggard's first number one hit single, the first of many for his label, Capitol Records. It's about a man who turns 21 in prison, serving life without parole, and the regret he feels for his life choices, and his love for his single mother who tried to raise him better, but apparently failed despite trying. I love this tune, uh, though apparently not as much as Jenkins. It may have had some personal resonance for him as well, because he has a rather long criminal history, with arrests for assaulting a police officer, resisting arrest search, and failure to maintain financial responsibility in 2001, aggravated assault in 2012, and parole violation and DUI in 2013. In this, Jenkins isn't alone. Any number of capital insurrection defendants have criminal histories, including arrests and convictions for rather common offenses such as DUI, vandalism, and drug offenses, but also drug trafficking, assault, burglary, rape, attempted murder, gang activity, bank fraud, forgery, and theft. It's probably not too surprising that if a group of people are going to commit a crime together, there's probably going to be something of a selection effect. So Jenkins isn't particularly different from many of the defendants. He's a white male. He's from a state where many of the defendants are also from. He's close to the average age of the other defendants. And he has a criminal history consistent with the violent allegations against his behavior uh, on January 6th. But there's one respect in which he's very unusual other than his prominent tattoos, he left his Twitter account up. Usually, the social media accounts of the various insurrection defendants have come down very quickly, often within 24 hours of arrest. 
but his Twitter account is actually still up weeks after his arrest. And you can actually reconstruct a bit of his history from these tweets. It may be there was no one to actually take his Twitter account down. He lives in a housing facility operated as a ministry for ex-convicts in Houston. He has five children, but apparently they don't uh, live with him, and there's nothing to indicate that they or anyone else have any access to his devices. Uh, if you want to look at this, if it's still up, his Twitter handle is redtattoo179. So what I'd like to do now is to go through Red Tattoo 179's history of tweeting, beginning on April 27th, 2019. You can see something of the history of his radicalization, how he proceeds, what he's reading, uh, in terms of what he retweets, and uh, something like his thought process as he self-radicalizes, and the kinds of things that he's reading on the internet that eventually lead to him allegedly engaging in violence at the Capitol on January 6th. So April 27th, 2019, he tweeted, headed to prison for a softball event with charm. Can't wait to see the men behind the fence. Such a reminder for me about where God brought me from. Charm is a prison ministry. It's an acronym uh, operated by Houston's First Baptist Church. So in spring of 2019, Shane's not tweeting very much, but he's getting his life back together. He's apparently volunteering with the local prison ministry, which, um, according to the, well, some of what came forward in his bail hearing, is apparently where he's living at the time, and going back and playing softball, apparently, uh, with the inmates at a prison. But then, over time, Shane begins to tweet more frequently, and much of the content is political. He's going in in a way that, well, I, I don't want to describe it as cautious, but um, sort of gradually. He's retweeting Mike Pence, Charlie Kirk, and Graham Allen, uh, the latter two, who are from Turning Point USA. On November 1st, Shane tweeted, My first time ever to vote. Off parole, free and proud Republican. So thankful for what he is doing. He has more than earned my vote. And of course, here he doesn't even say who the he he is referring to is, but it's President Trump. So at 42 years old, Shane Jenkins, whose legal history going back 20 years, is finally off parole, paid his debt to society, and finally able to vote in Texas. And he votes for Donald Trump. And he tweets a few more times to express his enthusiastic support for Trump. On November 7th, four days after the election, he just tweets, trash, at election 2020. Hashtag, sorry, election 2020. You can almost feel some sympathy for him at this point. He lives in a state where it's not easy for felons to regain the right to vote. And he's finally eligible. And his preferred candidate loses. But he hasn't given up hope. On November 14th, he tweets, quote, Supreme Court, here we come, end quote. So apparently he had some idea in the middle of November, a uh, week or so after the election, uh, he had some idea the Supreme Court was going to do something like what it did in Bush v. Gore and overturn the election results to benefit the Republican nominee. That doesn't happen. As rancorous as Bush v. Gore was, 
one of the things that came out of it is that the Supreme Court made it pretty clear that it didn't want to become the ultimate arbiter of elections in the United States. They said that it was a, a non-presidential decision. Uh, they, they were very careful to limit the scope of it. And uh, I think in some consequence, you know, as with, with an eye to the legitimacy of the court, despite it being a, a majority Republican court, um, they've decided that they are not in the business of overturning election results. They're just going to do it the one time. And thanks in part to the fact that Sandra Day O'Connor uh, wanted to be able to stay at home to uh, deal with her. Sorry, she wanted to be able to retire uh, and have a Republican appoint her successor so that she could uh, care for her ailing husband. In any event, keeps on going. So a few days later, November 20th, 2020, he tweets, Trash Can News reporting live from New World Order Headquarters, comma, George Soros Garage, exclamation point. So I, I actually don't know what this is in reference to. Um, Trash Can News, I don't know what that is. Maybe CNN. Um but I don't know that they actually reported from George Soros's garage. But again, some of this is, it's coming from out of the blue. He's not mentioned George Soros in any context at this point. Um, and of course, George Soros is, is a figure uh, who's a bit of a whipping boy, right? Uh, for people on the alt-right. There's a lot of anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories regarding Soros and his involvement in electoral politics. And Shane is retweeting this uh, kind of, you know, this basic theme that Soros is uh, somehow responsible uh, for the election of Joe Biden. The next day, on November 21st, he tweets, Resurrect Pinochet, at P I'm sorry, hashtag Pinochet, hashtag Pinochet treatment, hashtag Pinochet for president. So he's a little iffy on the Constitution here. Uh, for one thing, General Augusto Pinochet was an Argentinian and therefore ineligible for the United States presidency. But also, he's dead, right? Uh, the hashtag Pinochet treatment hashtag didn't catch on. Um, in fact, he's the only one who's ever used it, as far as I can tell. So Jenkins is making his political preferences pretty clear here. He would prefer to live in some country that's ruled by a junta that commits human rights violations rather than one in which Joe Biden is elected president through a democratic process. There's absolutely nothing to indicate that Jenkins is formally a member of any of the various alt-right gangs, but the reference to Pinochet here is kind of telling because Pinochet has become a bit of a cult figure among the alt-right. And so it places Jenkins more in the alt-right than the orbit of what we might call the mainstream Republican Party, if we can still say that there's anything like a clear dividing line between the alt-right and the mainstream Republican Party uh, in the age of Trump. On November 22nd, Jenkins retweets Graham Allen from Turning Point USA again, saying, quote, breaking. It's all, all caps, part of the plan, all caps, stand firm, exclamation point, 
retweet. No one retweets. But again, all part of the plan, that's QAnon, right? So he's drawing from uh, QAnon, he's drawing from the alt-right, and he's uh, apparently probably spending a lot of time online reading you know, various conspiracy theories about the election, about George Soros. On November 27th, he tweets, quote, cheaters never win. Heard that somewhere. And retweets Graham Allen again, quote, all caps, breaking, Biden cheated, ellipsis. Pass it on. Hashtag Biden cheated, RT. Again, nobody retweets it. Um, but apparently is this idea, Biden cheated in some unspecified manner. Now, despite the fact, of course, that, you know, many other Republicans were on the race down ballot, right? Uh, other than Donald Trump. And, um, you know, in, in a race that someone went, lost by that much, actually, you might have expected the Republicans to do worse than they actually did. Um, the, the election of Joe Biden, in some sense, is a reflection of what a singularly unpopular president Donald Trump is by the time he's trying to seek his second term in office. But Jenkins, many other people apparently, can't countenance that. And so they're willing to entertain almost any kind of conspiracy theory at this point. On November 29th, Jenkins tweets, tweets again. Um, there's a URL. Everyone needs to hear this interview. It talks about the fraud, treason, treason, and the way this stuff is about to go down. I can't actually follow the link. Um, the link, the link they links to is a YouTube link and it's been taken down. So don't know what it was other than the fact that it's about fraud and treason and the way it was about to go down. But apparently, again, I'm taken down by YouTube. So, may not be accurate information. On December 1st, Jenkins tweets, quote, Twitter is garbage. There's no disputing that as fraud for sure. Their censorship is ridiculous. I'll be glad when we prove any election fraud. That way, they can shut up. Um, again, I'm, I'm not sure what he means by there's no disputing that as fraud for sure, but he's out alleging fraud, right? He's alleging voter fraud, electoral fraud, something of the sort. Later on December 1st, he retweets Ryan A. Fournier, one of the founders of Student for Trump from my home state of North Carolina, and not to be confused with the other founder of Students for Trump, John Lambert. This tweet uh, that he retweets it has been deleted, but uh, Jenkins uh, tweeted, let's go with six O's uh, and exclamation point um, in response to uh, Fournier's tweet. Now, incidentally, it came out this past week that John Lambert committed wire fraud by posing as an attorney. Uh, he misrepresented himself in telephone conversations as a uh, an actual New York attorney. Someone else entirely assumed this person's identity 
and defrauded clients out of money for legal work that A, he wasn't qualified to perform, uh, he's not an attorney, um, and B, uh, you know, uh, he, he wasn't who he was claiming to be. And Ryan Fournier, um, who, you know, is the person uh, who is retweeting here, testified against his uh, fellow Students for Trump co-founder, uh, but was not himself charged in, in the wire fraud um, in, again, uh, John Lambert's efforts to defraud people by misrepresenting himself as an attorney. All right, we're about to head into some more um, of the nonsense that Jenkins is tweeting in early December 2020, and we'll give more after a quick break. Welcome back. On December 3rd, Jenkins tweets, Can anyone follow Sidney Powell on Twitter? It won't let me look her up. Or am I just ignorant? Well, Jenkins may have been ignorant here. I'm not really sure what the problem is. Um, Sidney Powell is still up on Twitter at this point, although he believes that her name is spelled uh, S-Y-D. N E Y rather than S I D N E Y. Um, later, of course, again, Twitter does take Sidney Powell down, uh, bans uh, Sidney Powell, but that's not until January 8th, two days after the Capitol insurrection. So, again, Jenkins is not particularly tech savvy, right? Uh, they're, he's seeing Sidney Powell's name come up. He's seeing this material come forward from her, but can't really fi quite figure out how to follow her on Twitter. On December 11th, Jenkins retweets Lou Dobbs interviewing Sidney Powell, asserting a bizarre conspiracy theory. Quote, heck yeah, with four H's. And uh, it's a video that has, quote, evidence of fraud. And, um, you know, claims that the FBI and law enforcement aren't interested in electoral fraud witnesses and offers to make public evidence, evidence of a cyber attack on the U.S. election system. And again, at this point, um, the courts have reviewed the various claims of the Trump campaign, um, and it's ongoing, but by and large, there's, you know, there's, they don't have a leg to stand on. Nonetheless, um, people such as Lou Dobbs, are promoting these uh, crazy conspiracy theories of people such as Sidney Powell, right, who is acting in the service of Trump to promote the idea that there's massive electoral fraud and that Trump, in fact, actually won the election somehow, despite the fact that he went into the election uh, having never risen above 50% approval rating during his entire first term, uh, a mark that is without equal, and one that really, uh, you know, signals, you know, a, a massive electoral defeat. Uh, honestly, it is kind of surprising that, that Trump lost by as little as he did, given the fact that, you know, in his overall approval rating, uh, he never really managed to get over 50% 
during his entire four years. On December 12th, Jenkins uh, tweets, quote, I'm looking forward to military trials when Trump uses executive order 13694. Hashtag Trump won. Hashtag Trump waited patiently. Hashtag Trump train. Hashtag checkmate. Hashtag tag sacrifice my queen. So um, this executive order uh, 13694 is not an actual thing, right? So um, apparently it's a reference to a, an executive order uh, that was issued by Barack Obama uh, regarding, uh, you know, the foreign influence uh, of, you know, various media sources. But again, um, you know, it's not real. But he's apparently gotten this from somewhere and has, you know, decided that there are going to be military trials uh, for someone. And th this is, you know, Pretty QAnon adjacent, right? The idea of the storm that's coming, that there's going to be uh, this, you know, sort of mass arrest, military trials, whatever, of people who oppose Donald Trump. Two days later, December 14th, he tweets again, let's go, Executive Order 13694. He falls silent for a week. Um... So there's no tweets from December 14th to December 21st when he tweets again, booked my flight and room for the January 6th rally in D.C. Triple exclamation point. I'm stoked. Triple exclamation point. So we see Jenkins working through his process, one that I think may be similar to other Capitol insurrection defendants, Although, again, most of them are taking their accounts down. So without interviewing them, and it would be a bad idea for they, any of them to do any interviews at this point, considering they have pending cases. Um, you know, it's maybe a similar process to what some of them uh, are going through. At first, he's upset with the loss, right? But he believes the courts might still vindicate the claims that Biden's election is marked by fraud. Then, when that falls through, he pivots rather quickly to the large you know, number of fringe theories that are being promoted by Sidney Powell and Lou Dobbs and other figures, uh, in, in, again, associated in the Trump orbit, the Republican orbit. And he believes that Trump is going to issue an executive order that's going to begin a storm of mass arrests. So even though Jenkins doesn't send down any tweets about QAnon specifically, doesn't mention it, he's certainly Q adjacent at this point in, uh, toward the end of December of 2020. His political ideas seem to be a cobbled together mess of material from the alt-right, QAnon, and various right-wing media outlets, um, places such like as Turning Point USA, right, which is essentially a far-right propaganda outlet. And much of these messages were also reinforced by political elites of people who are in the Trump circle. Uh, Trump himself um, and Eric Trump and various other people uh, who are affiliated with him. So the question is, absent this messaging from elites, people like Sidney Powell, Charlie Kirk, Eric Trump, 
Um, I'm not actually sure that he winds up in D.C. at all. In the very first election for which he's eligible to vote, his preferred candidate loses. There's this firestorm of uh, ginned-up controversy from these various figures. And so he's going to D.C. Um, he doesn't mention whether or not, you know, he goes to D.C. on his own. Um, you know, again, uh, he's working either as a roofer, or an oil field worker, and living in group housing at a place that is essentially a charity for ex-cons. So, you know, um, he's got five kids. I don't know if he's playing, paying child support on any of them. They're, you know, uh, not apparently married to anyone. Um, but nonetheless, right, you know, he's going to D.C. So it'd be interesting to know if, if anyone actually sent him to D.C. Um, if he was actually taking advantage of, of any kind of offer in that regard. So Jenkins, apparently, uh, as of the third week in December 2020, has no idea that this isn't actually how politics is supposed to operate in this country. When a political party loses a national election, what they ordinarily do is go back to the drawing board. They put in better state party mechanisms and apparatuses that focus on designing new policies and positions that are going to appeal to voters. And they try to recruit new talent for political organizing and new candidates to appeal to voters, that kind of thing. Storming the Capitol in an attempt to prevent what is usually regarded as a purely ceremonial certification of electoral votes is entirely unprecedented and, of course, completely unconstitutional. Um, not something that's you know, envisioned by the framers. In point of fact, if you look at things you know, such as the Whiskey Rebellion or Shays Rebellion, you know, this is the kind of thing that, that you know, within the lifetimes of the founders, um, they would have put down with the state militias. So later on December 21st, the same day uh, Jenkins books his flight and his accommodations, he asks, quote, who's going to be in Washington, D.C. on January 6th? Hashtag Trump rally, hashtag Trump 2020, hashtag Trump, hashtag Patriot, hashtag rally, hashtag liberty, hashtag freedom, hashtag America. There's no reply. So no one, no one uh, takes up Jenkins's invitation to meet up in Washington uh, or the Washington, D.C. metro area on January 6th. Later in the day, he, he, he tries again. Where do we meet up for the January 6th protest in D.C.? More hashtags. Hashtag Trump rally. Hashtag Proud Boys. Hashtag protest, hashtag drain the swamp, hashtag Twitter is garbage. Why are you using it? Anyway, hashtag Republican, hashtag conservative, hashtag Trump 2020, hashtag fraud is real. So if you have to invent a hashtag saying fraud is real, it might be that it's not real, right? You're, you're just fabricating this and you're just create, trying to feed into it this echo chamber where you have uh, rejected the reality of everyone else and substituted your own. But it's significant that here he mentions Proud Boys for the first and only time 
in the history of his Twitter account. So in contrast with some of the other people who have been charged to date, Jenkins would appear to be operating as a lone wolf. If he's on Parler or has joined one of the various extremist gangs that went to the Capitol, he wouldn't have to ask on Twitter, right? They would have already fed him that information. So many of the other defendants are people who've been active in right-wing political circles for years. But Jenkins seems to be someone who's been recently radicalized by internet propaganda from people such as Lou Dobbs. He's very confused about some of the basic procedures of how to proceed in terms of uh, what we might call unconventional political participation, right? So, you know, you have electoral politics, you have organizing, these are forms of conventional political participation. Things such as protests, certainly rioting, are unconventional forms of political participation. He doesn't know any of it. He, do, he doesn't know uh, the most basic things. So, you know, he doesn't know how to meet up with other like-minded people uh, on the day of the event, at the site of the event. I, I should add, at this point, no one's either liking or responding to any of these tweets. He just thrown them out of the ether and, uh, you know, no one's answering his questions. So at this point, he's got a hotel room, he's got a ticket, but he doesn't really know what he's going to do on January 6th. So on December 20th, he tweets, sorry, December 30th, who is coming with me, man? And he tweets out uh, a internet address. HTTP colon backslash backslash wildprotest.com, January 6th, DC, wildprotest.com. So that's the official website for the Stop the Steal rally. So apparently, at this point, he's finally discovered where he needs to go. Now, um, it's been taken down. But if you go to the archived version of the Stop the Steal Wild Protest website, Jenkins tweets out, there's the most prominent feature of that website is a map of the day's events on the main page, which features a map of the area around the Capitol. And there's a prominent yellow star. It's a black and white map. Um, it, there's a yellow star, a five-point star, on the ellipse with small red text label that reads, come here. And then there's a depiction of um, the Capitol. And it's emblazoned with similar red text in a font that's about twice as large as the font next to the ellipse that says, come here. And it says, in all caps, Capitol. And there's a smaller label in the Supreme Court building in the same red text that reads, SCOTUS which is kind of interesting. But even though the permanent uh, for the, the, the rally that day was for the rally at the Ellipse, the graphic would have you believe that the real focus of the event was going to be at the Capitol. So I don't know how the various uh, folks in the intelligence and security uh, who you know were following this could have missed the fact that although this was supposed to be a protest at, held at the Ellipse, nonetheless, 
um, the, the entire graphic focus on this really large image that's the most prominent feature of the Stop the Steal website is on the Capitol. So, um, you know, a bit of an oversight on their part. New Year's Eve, December 31st. Jenkins tweets out, quote, can we get the Twitter, Facebook people to look into this? I'm pretty sure there is, or, excuse me, is, what well, he says is, 72 genders, four exclamation points. Hashtag Trump 2020, hashtag New Year's Eve, hashtag Red Velvet, hashtag COVID-19, hashtag Thursday morning, hashtag uh, Jimin, you are perfect, hashtag earthquake, hashtag goodbye 2020. So, not to get all the hashtags he does, but this tweet is actually accompanying a photo of his hand, and you know it's his hand because, of course, it has tattoos on it, and it's pointing to the boxes on a passport application that show genders, and it's a, you know, it's a binary choice, right? So there's male and female. So there's some sort of strange effort on his part to say something about gender, right? Um, that, you know, I don't know if this is like sort of vaguely transphobic or, or what the deal is. Um, but what's significant, of course, is that he has a passport application on New Year's Eve and uh, already has plans to go to the Capitol and has a passport application. I have no indication that Jenkins has ever left Texas in his entire life. Um, but for some reason, he's planning on going to the Capitol on January 6th and is also planning to um, perhaps travel abroad. Maybe he suddenly has this urge to see the world now that he's, you know, done his time and is off parole. Um, I mean, it just seems like a really strange way to document the fact that you're a flight risk. So Jenkins is also alleged to have brought a survival axe, uh, which he's on video using to break a window, the repair of which is estimated to cost $1,500. So, you know, he's wearing gloves, not head-to-toe in tactical gear like some of the defendants. Um, but he certainly appears to have planned on mixing it up, and he certainly did. Uh, once he was at the Capitol. Uh, it's alleged he assaulted officers with a flagpole, a drawer, and what are described as three stick-like objects. Um, at his bail hearing, it was alleged that he threw nine separate objects at federal officers during the assault on the Capitol. So Jenkins is identified in the video from the 6th by a confidential tipster. And his identity was confirmed by a Texas parole officer. He's facing more charges and more serious charges than the vast majority of other defendants. Now, some defendants are going to be able to claim that up until January 6th, they were law-abiding citizens. But because Jenkins has prior convictions, uh, particularly, you know, given the fact that he was charged with and convicted of assaulting a peace officer in Texas... And he is now facing three counts of assaulting federal officers at the Capitol insurrection. That whole, I was a law-abiding citizen, 
uh, you know, defense, it, it's not going to fly, right? He's not going to be able to say that, well, you know, I'm someone who doesn't have a criminal history and I, I slipped up once. Um, he's someone who has prior convictions for assaulting a police officer. And also, since it appears he went to the Capitol alone, he doesn't have anything to offer to the AUSAs. Uh, he doesn't have really, it would appear, any uh, co-conspirators, right? Um, I mean, again, he's tweeting to all these people, um, and the universe is not responding with anything. So he doesn't, it would seem, have any information that would be useful in uh, any of the other cases. So his attorney would seem is in a rather weak position. The evidence is very compelling. His client has a record of violence against the police, and he traveled 1,400 miles to assault federal officers who were protecting Congress and the vice president as they tried to fulfill their constitutional duty to certify the electoral vote. Now, many defendants, because of COVID, are being granted bail. And uh, as you might guess, that's not on the table for Jenkins, right? Um, his bail was denied. Here's what Federal Magistrate Judge Andrew Edison had to say at Jenkins' bail hearing, quote, How else do you explain that he happened to have a crowbar, a hatchet, or a tomahawk in his backpack? There's video evidence that he pulled the weapon out of the bag and used it to smash a window in the United States Capitol, but even more alarming and telling is the evidence he threw items at law enforcement officers, end quote. So, again, it was premeditation. This was deliberate. He planned to go to the, quote, wild protest and um, brought things to either destroy property or assault persons. Jenkins is represented by federal public defendant, uh, defender Dennis Hester, who claimed at the bail hearing that there's no evidence that any of the nine objects that Jenkins threw at officers actually injured them. I'm a political scientist. I'm not an attorney. Uh, but the judge, at least, certainly you know, did not find that compelling at all. He's charged with assaulting, resisting, or impeding certain officers using a dangerous weapon. That's it. Actually causing physical harm isn't an element of the charge. You don't actually have to injure someone to be charged with uh, those offenses. So whether the government's able to prove that these assaults cause actual bodily injury is immaterial. I mean, over 100 officers um, from the Capitol Police and the D.C. Metropolitan Police did suffer injuries. They were injured by someone. And uh, Jenkins is on video um, assaulting people, so assaulting officers. So um, it, he's in a, a, a rather tight spot. Now, he, all, he was also asked whether the FBI, again, this is his, uh, his attorney, Dennis Hester, he asked at the bail hearing whether the FBI had investigated the internet tipster who'd identified Jenkins, and they said they hadn't. And this, of course, is, is a complete red herring. Uh, there's no doubt about the identity of the defendant, and so whatever information the uh, tipster gave the government has been cooperated by the FBI. That's the reason why they went to a Texas parole officer, uh, presumably his current or former parole officer, who was able to identify Jenkins. So what are the motivation of the, the tipster, uh, whether this is someone actually knows Jenkins or whether it is an internet sleuth? doesn't really matter. So uh, as a consequence of all this, he was denied, uh, denied bail on March 11th, and so is subject to pretrial detention. 
So that's the story of Shane Leiden Jenkins as it goes so far, the Texas ex-convict who appeared to be working to turn his life around until he was incited by people such as Lou Dobbs, Sidney Powell, Charlie Kirk, and Donald Trump allegedly to come to Washington on January 6th for a wild protest. And now he's looking at a lot of time. And we'll see if he accepts a plea bargain or if he insists on his day in court. There were thousands of people at the Trumpist rally at the Ellipse. The vast majority of them did not storm the Capitol. So how is it that someone who has experience in the system would go to D.C. that day, allegedly choose violence, knowing that the consequences would be even more severe given their prior history? Jenkins is someone who absolutely ought to have known better. But there's a sense in which he's a vulnerable person. He's socially isolated from mainstream society, living in group housing. At the same time, he's also someone who looks at the regime of General Augusto Pinochet and thinks that the right and patriotic thing to do is to attempt to overturn an election uh, to try to install an authoritarian strongman here in the United States. He's probably representative, unfortunately, of more people in the United States than we might care to imagine. Isolated, vulnerable, susceptible to the crudest propaganda with nothing to lose, and perfectly willing to act as a tool for the enemies of electoral politics and democracy itself and trying to forward their agenda of deciding elections, deciding, making political decisions on the basis of mob violence rather than electoral politics. So there's some kind of calculus at work in, in Jenkins's mind but one that would appear to be broken. The only supposition that makes his alleged behavior even remotely rational is the idea that he firmly believed that he and his other insurrectionists couldn't lose. And that's, the, that's the, what they've been getting from Lou Dobbs, Sidney Powell, QAnon, all these various figures in the Trump orbit. Um, the, the, you know, the fix is in, the Joe Biden... And uh, other people in the Democratic Party have somehow rigged the presidential election, but we're going to solve it. We're going to uh, take our grievances to the Capitol, and we're going to make Mike Pence stand up and do his constitutional duty. Um, which, by the way, he did, right? <laughs> his constitutional duty is pretty clear. This is a ceremonial thing. He certified the, the, the results. Um, he presided over that process, and that's what he was supposed to do. Uh, it's unprecedented. What they're asking him to do was unprecedented and, of course, uh, baseless. And again, Jenkins is, is in a really tough spot. On the one hand, you know, it's premeditated. I mean, he didn't wind up in D.C. by, you know, by accident. He bring this crowbar or uh, hatchet, allegedly, by accident, right? These are things that show premeditation and planning. And he documents everything they does uh, on his Twitter feed, which he still hasn't taken down. And he might be able to, you know, his attorney might make the case, well, uh, my client is not vulnerable anymore. He's, you know, um, he was under the sway of Donald Trump, right? But the problem with that argument is if you are someone who is so easily persuaded that you're going to go out and commit felonies based on crude internet propaganda, then you're clearly a danger to the community. If someone is uh, apt to be swayed by, you know, anonymous people on the internet, um, or even, you know, named people, uh, it doesn't really matter, right? 
They can be, you, you can sell them a bill of goods on any number of things. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're going to try to make that argument in a number of cases. And I don't think that they're going to find that persuasive. That the fact that you're being persuaded by someone um, doesn't mean you're not a danger to the community, right? Because the, the person who persuaded him to do this is still at large and free to incite more riots. So it would seem that there are personalities uh, who find the opportunity to engage in political violence is a particularly appealing opportunity. And these kinds of people have always been with us as a distinct human type. People who want to redefine politics so that it becomes warfare. What's unusual, although not unprecedented in our history, is that these warlike people were invited to the capital in an effort to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. It raises the question of whether or not this is going to become a regular feature of our politics. That is a disturbing prospect. Is this kind of political violence from the far right going to be a regular feature of our politics? Is it going to start at the presidential level and work its way down so that every election that they lose, they're going to try to um, have something like the Brooks Brothers riot, right? Which is very similar. It was an attempt to, you know, storm the people who were counting the votes. Um, is an attempt to try to, um, you know, circumvent the, the democratic process, the, the electoral process. So are we going to see, you know, electoral processes being circumvented by mob violence? Now, I, I know I'm, I'm definitely going to return to this theme because it's one of the main reasons why this is concerning. But I keep thinking about what would have happened if the vast majority of the crowd hadn't hung back. You know, maybe 90, 95% of them, they went to the protest, they maybe followed the, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys down to the Capitol, but once there, they didn't actually storm the Capitol. So only a few hundred, apparently, actually wind up storming the Capitol. But what if next time you get a high, those, they get those numbers up? Those are rookie numbers, right? What if they get those numbers up, they get the rate of participation up to a point where you do have you know, 30, 35, 40, 45,000 people storming the nation's capital. Our political and social contract is predicated on definition of politics as a nonviolent means of settling political issues, adjudicating disputes, and securing our lives and property. That's the point of social contract theory. It originates with Thomas Hobbes, who's writing the, the back, against the backdrop of the English Civil War. And Hobbes creates a leviathan. He is in favor of a strong state, uh, in his instance, a, a monarchy, right? Uh, a strong state that is going to overawe people to prevent violence, to secure lives and property. Now, over time, this version of the social contract winds up becoming sort of liberalized, right? Hobbes himself is a new Democrat, but the social contract eventually evolves into electoral politics. Hobbes's new geometry of politics is an set of institutional mechanisms that ultimately wind up in this complex um, mechanistic system of checks and balances that we find embodied in our Constitution. And the whole point of it, again, is to circumvent the prospect of political violence and of adjudicating disputes through violence. We don't use that. We don't count bullets, we count ballots. That's why we have a social contract in the first instance. So 
It remains to be seen whether there are people in the population who are despairing of electoral politics and looking for an alternative to, uh, to electoral politics who are going to see January 6th as a kind of practice run. Again, there are, you know, there's historical precedent, right? I mean, the Brooks Brothers riot was smaller scale, but it was a bit similar. And uh, we've seen uh, things like the Whitmer plot, right? The plot in Michigan to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So, uh, and this is all coming from one direction. It's coming from right-wing, radical, violent, at this point, insurrectionists. So we have elected officials who are egging on these people and are questioning the legitimacy of the same electoral process that put them into power. And I think that's very dangerous to our democracy if this becomes the new normal. If one side accepts democratic electoral outcomes when they win, but lie about voter fraud and election rigging when they lose, and offer up a mob as an alternative means of dispute resolution, that's a very dangerous prospect for the future of our democracy. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time with me to uh, delve into the story of Shane Leedon Jenkins of Texas. I will do a follow-up uh, if uh, there's any outcome to his case. And have a great week.